Good morning. Good to see you. So excited for you to be here with us. If it's your first time here, did I get a round of applause? I didn't even do anything yet. Like I've done nothing. <laughs> Way to walk, Pastor Paul. One foot in front of the other. You know what? I appreciate that. I feel like today is going to be a good day. Um, Way to show up, Paul. Thank you. Um, I'm excited that you're here. If this is your first time here, super excited that you're, uh, you're here with us. Um, I have to say, I think this might be uh, an interesting uh, time we have together as we open up, God's, uh, open up God's word. This is really kind of a confession of mine. Uh, so at the end of this message, you may have a lower view of me, uh, but that's okay because I'm hoping that you have a higher view a higher view of God. And so I'm just going to just kind of open up and start this way and say that I, I get frustrated, um, disappointed, and maybe borderline angry. I think that's, that's fair to say. When I, when I read about big movements of God in the past. So I, I was talking to some friends and I was saying, you know, in my, in my academic journey, Really, I followed a very narrow path. I really did. Like, I do not have a diversity of skills. Like, if church stops being a thing, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't. Like, that's all my field of study from, from undergraduate, graduate, postgraduate, all of it, right? And, and it's good for me because I'm a learner, but I have some learning disabilities. And so it's good for me to have a very narrow lane and field of study. Now, when you do that, you kind of take laps around certain topics. And one of those laps that frustrates me is when I get in a lap of church history. When I look at the history of the church and I see what God has done. So maybe on the undergrad, you go to a certain layer and then graduate level, you go a little bit deeper, right? And when I read about big movements of God in the American church, like the first great awakening or the second great awakening, or the revivals, the businessman's revival, or the revivals uh, that happened with D.L. Moody, or the, at college campuses, like the Wheaton College revival, their Asbury College revival. Actually, at that revival, one of my professors was actually there, kind of hosted, uh, if you will, or played a part in that revival. When I read about those just big movements of God, revival means like new life, to bring new life to something. When I read about them, I get frustrated. Now you're thinking, wait a second, I thought you were a pastor. Why would you be frustrated if God's doing something, something new? Reviving his church, bringing people uh, into faith. Why would that frustrate you? It frustrates me because it do, it's not happening now. Like I read about in the past, right? Or it's not, a better way to say that, it's not happening right now, right here. And, and I mourn because everything that's going on in the American church may not know this, but there's a significant event that's happened that we have the largest schism or the largest break in American denominational history just happened this year. Significant move. Now, I'm not going to go through all those details, but that's just kind of tells you the nature of the American church and its health. I just finished off or about to finish off once I get uh, a, a call uh, with one of these uh, consultants. I'm going to finish a certification on church revitalization, which means how to revive a church. And in that presentation, it's really fun. I I'm a learner, so I love to learn. I get certificates just to get them. Like I got COVID and I took a class. I asked my wife, like I was like 10 days locked out. What am I going to do? I signed up for a class 
and I completed the class. I'm like, well, I'm just going to cough and listen to my screen. So I like that stuff. I, so in this learning process uh, uh, about church revitalization, man, I'll tell you what, the, the dire need that was presented of, man, it, there's a sense of urgency for church leaders because the American church is just losing influence and losing attenders. Right? So when I read about revivals and these big moves of God, they're just times I'm like, man, God, why not now? Now, I've prayed for revival. I've prayed for God to move in just amazing ways so on several occasions. And I'm sure you have too. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm assuming that you've prayed that God would move in a big way in the lives of those around you and your friends and family members who are not following Jesus, uh, even for this community to just to turn upside down for Jesus. I know you've prayed for that. And what I want to share with you is, I bet we've all prayed this way. I know I've prayed this way. I prayed for God to move in a big way. But after reading Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's prayer, the prophet's prayer, praying for something big, for God to do something big, his posture in his prayer is not something that I've done. And so I'm just going to confess to you that I have not prayed like Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 9. And what you may find is you may find, um, you may identify with my confession. <laughs> you may say, yeah, that's me too. And I think what we're going to uncover in Daniel's prayer is something that I think the American church needs. Now, I'm not saying, I don't want you to think at the end of the day, you're like, oh, Paul, you figured out the formula. Hit these buttons spiritually and bam, God will do a great movement. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is I think there is a posture of prayer that's missing, not only in my life, it's definitely missing in my life, but I think it's missing in the American church. And it may be why we are losing ground. Okay, so let's go to Daniel chapter 9. And let me just summarize Daniel's posture in prayer. Because we're going to read a lot of verses, so I'm going to summarize it to you. Uh, so that way it's a little bit easier. So five words. This is the big idea for today. We always like to have a big idea of what our message is. So something you can stick with you throughout the week. So in five words, I can summarize Daniel's posture in prayer. Here's his posture. It is, we haven't, but I will. We haven't, but I will. So that we haven't part is really corporate confession. Daniel is going to pray, and you're going to see it as I read through it. Daniel is going to pray this corporate confession. Now, what he's not going to do is complain about the sins of other people. He's not going to say, they did this, those people over there. He's not going to do that. He's going to say, we've done this. And what's included in we is me. So Daniel is confessing a corporate confession, a group confession but he's including himself in this confession. We've missed the boat, God. We haven't done this. And he's going to go on with that a lot. And as he kind of finishes that out, then he's going to move from the we haven't, but the I will. There's a big mess here, spiritually, God. And, and I have a part of this mess. But God, I'm going to take the initiative to do something about it. So you have this corporate confession, but then you have this personal ownership. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do this. And I think if we had this posture in our prayers as a church this week, I think God would smile upon us. I truly do. And if the American church had this posture, man, I think God would smile on the American church in a really big way. If we had prayers that said, you know, we haven't done this, God. But I will 
stop doing those things. I will start pleading for your mercy. I will take initiative to entreat the favor of the Lord upon us again. So let's jump into Daniel chapter 9. Let's start with verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to read a lot of verses, okay? So follow along with me, but I'll try to read them in sections that make it easier for you to walk through. So we're in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Now, what's being described here? Daniel at this point is probably about 80 years old. He's been living in Babylon for probably 68, 67 years. So Daniel is an Israelite. He was taken captive from his land when he was just a teenage boy, probably about 12, 13, something like that. And if you know that the history of the nation of Israel, what happened is Israel came into the promised land. They had this kind of great reign with awesome kings. It didn't last very long. didn't have many good kings. One of those kings kind of uh, broke things off. So we, went, we got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Israel was known as the northern kingdom and Judah was known as the southern kingdom. Both of these territories sinned against God in a big way. So the Assyrians were punished, or sorry, the, the Israelites were punished, so Israel was punished and taken away by the Assyrians that left the southern kingdom left, Judah. That's where Daniel comes from. Daniel was taken by a power called the Babylonian Empire. So the Babylonians came in, and they took the people and brought them to Babylon. That is where Daniel is. Now, there was a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said, the people of God will live in exile in Babylon for 70 years. So, That's that promise when he's saying, I was reading the prophet Jeremiah, I was reading my Bible, and I realized, wait a second, right? He pulled out his iPhone, and he flipped through his calendar, and he was like, hold on a second, we're at year like 68. Jeremiah said 70. We're getting close. God's going to do something big. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Notice how the plan of God did not make Daniel lazy. Like Daniel wasn't like, oh, 70 years, right? Recliner, ding, ah, I'm just going to binge watch whatever show you binge watch when you're in ancient Babylon, right? He's just going to, I'm just going to kick my feet up and do nothing, right? It's not what he does. The plan of God does not make Daniel lazy. He says, no, I want to be a part of this. God's on the move. God's going to move. God's doing something big. We're going to outlast this exile. We're going to go back to the city of Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the temple. God is going to bless us again. I'm so excited about this, and I want to be a part of this. This is exactly how the plan of God should affect us as followers of Christ. Now, we don't have a promise like this. We don't have a promise in the Bible that's like, Jesus is going to come back in two years. That would be really cool if we did. It is interesting, though, to ask yourself the question, what would you do, though, if we did have that? Would you be like, recliner, boom, binge watch, down to Nabby, boom. That's not your show. Okay, my bad, all right, swing and a miss. I'll pick another one, second service. Right? But would it make you inactive? Would it make you lazy? Or would you say, wow, two years, let's go. I'm going out. Now, we don't have an exact time frame like Daniel did. 
But we do have a promise from Jesus. This is in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. This is a promise we get from Jesus. And I want you to liken it to the promise that Daniel had. Daniel had a promise that made him pray. We have a promise that should make us pray. Make us want to be a part of something. Look what Jesus says. It says, and this gospel, gospel means good news. It's an announcement of something good. And the Bible uses that term. It's speaking about Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, for us to have a right relationship with God, that he is ruling over us with favor. Okay, that's a lot of words. It's easier to summarize it with gospel. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, so we have a right relationship with God. He can reign over us in favor. So this gospel, this good news of Jesus and what he has done on the cross of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now I want you to focus on the first part there. Oftentimes we read this, if you've come across this passage, and we read that last part, and then the end will come, and that's where we focus. But look at the promise that started there. Look what Jesus said. Now think of this. This is a guy who had who didn't write anything down, Jesus. He had a three-year ministry, kind of an itinerant preacher, a, a traveling rabbi who wasn't really seen as an official Jewish teacher because the religious establishment at the time didn't like Jesus. In fact, they're the ones who pressured the Romans to crucify Jesus. So he wasn't popular, at least in that sense to them, to those with the power and authority. But we have this, we have this first century traveling preacher, kind of came out of nowhere, had three years of teaching, and then he was killed. He says, you know what I'm saying? All this stuff I'm saying, it's going to go throughout the whole world. It's going to go to all nations. Isn't that interesting? At 2,000 years ago, this basically peasant traveling preacher says, what I'm saying right now is going to circle the globe. Now, that's either arrogant or accurate. And Jesus is making this promise to us. Now, think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, right, and, and maybe you read some of the stuff that's happening in the American church, and you're reading about kind of how we're losing ground, you think to yourself, oh, no, we're not going to make it. You know, the, the, the mission of the church is going to fail. No, it's not. Jesus promised it wouldn't. The enterprise of the church will be successful. The question is, will you be a part of it? Just like with Daniel. Daniel knew, God, you're going to bring us back. But I want to be a part of the bringing back. You got a plan, but I want to be a part of your plan. And here's my encouragement to you. We want to be a part of this plan. The global proclamation of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins so we could be right with God and he reigned over us with favor. That's what we want. That promise should make us pray. Now, maybe you're like, okay, Paul, I'm with you. I'm tracking with you. Yeah, totally. I want the gospel to go to all the nations. I want it to spread throughout the world. I want to see the church be successful. Absolutely, Paul. I've been there. I've prayed that prayer. Okay. Now watch how Daniel prays, though. And maybe you got it, right? You're better than me. Maybe you got it. Because Daniel's prayer, I have that heart. I think you have that heart. But Daniel's words are different than my words. <laughs> and maybe they're different than your words. Because look at how he starts. He starts with confession. God, I want to be a part of this. I want to be part of this big move. You bring this back. We could say now, Jesus, I want to be a part of this. I want to be part of that promise. 
how do I, how do I be a part of that promise? We start with this. Corporate confession. We haven't. Look at this lengthy confession. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 3. I'm going to read a little bit here. But just listen to the weight of what Daniel says here. And listen to the wheeze. A lot of wheeze here. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and have acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. Who's he including? Who's he including this? Everybody. Everybody's in this. Right? He doesn't just blame the leaders. Ah, it's the political leader. It's the princes. No, he's like, we all got it wrong. All the people of the land. Verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, and those who are near, and those who are far away in the lands to which you have driven them, because of their treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Okay, this is just something to kind of know about myself. Like if we're picking characters, my kids know this. Like if we're picking characters like Old Testament heroes, like if you're picking your favorite Marvel character, clearly it's Iron Man. Okay, if you have any other opinion, you're wrong. So sorry. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. You might be right. Uh, I was going to say my least favorite character, but I won't do that. Okay, but if I'm picking Old Testament heroes, Daniel. Daniel is a boss. I love Daniel. Like, I would say, if you've said, Paul, what is your favorite Old Testament character? Daniel. Daniel by far. He's morally pure. I mean, the dude is just right. I know David, man after God's own heart. Yeah, but he messed up, like, big time. Daniel's like, I'm going to pray. We're going to throw you with lions. I don't care. Right? Even his buddies, like, his entourage is pretty bad. Like, that, we're going to worship. We're going to throw you in a fire. I don't care. Like, they, he's just a bad dude. Like, Daniel's gangster before it was gangster. This is the OG right here. O-T-O-G. Nobody. Okay, that's fine. So, I love Daniel. So, when I read this prayer, I feel like I'm talking with Daniel. I'm like, Daniel, why you stop it? Like, if anybody in the Old Testament had a reason to be like, not me, <laughs> that's you. That's on you, bro. If anybody had a reason to distance himself from the guilt of his people, it was Daniel. Dude was faithful. Stood up to kings and powers. You can't can't find a record of where he sinned. I'm sure he sinned once. I'm sure he did. But if anybody had a reason to say, not my mess, it's Daniel. Is that his prayer? No. He says, we did this. This happened to us. We includes me. (laughs) 
Now, I don't think Daniel is taking complete responsibility. It would be hard to make the case that Daniel is like the primary culprit in, in, in God's judgment over them. I, no, I don't think so. But he does say, I see some of this, right? Daniel doesn't just see the sins of the past. He sees some of the sins of the past in him, right? He looks at the mess and he says, wow, that's a mess. Some of that is mine. Now let's go to our promise that Jesus made. The gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations, to all tribes. The mission of the church will not fail. Okay, let's just think of ourselves as, a, as the American church. I'm thinking primarily of our stewardship over the United States. Okay? How has the American church failed the mission of God? How have we gotten in the way of God's global mission? How have we gotten in the way of gospel proclamation? How have we gotten in the way of the gospel reaching our neighbors, our friends and family, our city, our community, our state, our nation? Like, I'll just be honest, okay? I've seen trends in the American church that are in me. I'll give you two. First one, we have let politics get in the way of the mission of God. And you know who's done that? This guy. I've done that. I've done that. I've let politics get in the way of the mission of God. I've let political allegiance get in the way of the mission of God. And that's not okay. And I need to confess that. Second thing, stylistic preference. I want church done this way. I want church to play this kind of music. I want church to do this and this and this. I want this program, this program, this program. We do it this way, this way, this. I've let that, right? And I'll tell you what, it is so tempting, so tempting as a pastor to let the vision of your church be your preference. I was convicted by that just several months ago, reading through a book, and that was the kind of critique that the guy was making, the author was making in one of his chapters. His pastor, don't let your preference be the vision of the church. I felt like I was in, like, chemo's boxing club, and I just got a left hook to the jaw. Like, oh, I put the book down. I was like, no, you're, you're a problem. You're just a book. I'm going to kick you off the shelf. I know. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm like that. I do that to my books. Not the Bible. Um... <laughs> But man, I felt that. Yeah, I have done that. So let me ask you, right? What are your confessions? Now hear me. I'm not asking what are your complaints. The big difference. Complaint is they, those people. We got enough of that, man. We got enough of that. I've done enough church work to I have my quota of complaints is is filled. Okay? And when it gets low, I'll let you know. Then you can come to me. <laughs> But confessions, like, we messed this up. We got in the way. We let this and this and this and this get in the way of what God is going to do. And I want to be a part of what he's going to do. Because God said he's on the move and he'll finish the job. I don't want him to finish the job without me. Like, I want to be there. He's going to do it. Daniel, God didn't need Daniel to bring them back from exile. He didn't need them. And God doesn't need you or me. He doesn't need Sunrise Church. And he doesn't need the American church. He can do it without us but I don't want him to. I don't want him to. So I need to ask myself, what if I let get in the way? I need to confess. And I need to confess before God 
deals with me. Because God will deal with us. Okay, this is where it gets a little hard. You're like, Paul, it's not hard already? I'm already ready to leave. <laughs> That's okay. Please give your offering before you go at the door. And then, no, just kidding. Go back to Daniel chapter, chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, we're going to start again with verse 11. So God has laid out all of this, you know, Daniel's laid out that we, we, we've sinned. Look at God's response. God's response is discipline. And this is a part that I think that we have to factor in too. God will discipline his church. And sometimes I, maybe we don't talk about that often enough. Like when we get off the rails, God's mindful of that. Because the reputation of God on the globe Right, it's put forward by his church. And if we soil his name, he takes that seriously. Right? Let's, let's jump to Daniel. Let's see God's response. We're in verse 11. Confess all the sin. All Israel has tra transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the laws of Moses, the servant of God. Right here, Daniel is referring to Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is when God said, Israel, if you get into this land, so before they ever got in land, before they ever stepped a foot in the promised land, he said, if you continually disobey me, here's what's going to happen. Here's the discipline. Now, God, you got to hear this. God is not expecting perfection from his people, but confession from his people. That's why they have a whole sacrificial system. He's not saying you do one thing wrong, you're out. What he's saying is this. If you continue your habit, and when you fail me, you don't ask for forgiveness, and you just continue this pattern, my patience will run out. So I'm telling you right now, here are the consequences. And so Daniel is saying, God is doing what he told us he would do. This is no surprise. This is no surprise that we're living in exile. He told us this would happen. Okay, we're in verse 11 again. The law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Okay, so that's how God has treated his people Israel. Discipline them for their disobedience. Does God do that to the church? When the church gets off the rails... Right? When they miss the mission of God, when their character compromises the mission of God, when we soil his reputation, does Jesus take that seriously? Yes, he does. Very seriously. Okay, listen to these very sobering words. This is in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Revelation chapter 2, I should find that easily. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2, if you're in the maps, you're too far. <laughs> You're like, I'm still going. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Now, this is Jesus to the church. Look what he says to them. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. This is to the church of Ephesus. Repent. That means turn. Do the works that you did at first. If not, oh, man, do you feel the way? Like, Jesus gives the church an if not. Here's my mission. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the character I want you to have. And it's going to get accomplished. This gospel will be proclaimed throughout the, through all nations. It will happen with or without you. If you want to be on board, sweet, do these things. And if not, what is he going to do? You're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, wow, Jesus, is this a threat? Yes. Like you can't sugarcoat this. 
This is a threat. He says, if not, I'm in verse 5, if not, I will come to you. Yay, Jesus is visiting church. Nope, security. <laughs> don't, don't let him in, right? I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is what I fear the most as a pastor. Like, I, I know I'm not a big guy, right? And you're probably thinking, Paul, you're probably intimidated by a lot of things. Yes, Nutria, um, a lot of other things. Um, the ice cream man. I know you're like, there's a story there. There is. Okay. But I, I think I'm not super afraid, honestly, of like the government shutting us down. Like, you can't meet anymore. Okay, big deal. I'll get another job. And we'll still meet. <laughs> or like some group or something like that making gathering together like unsafe. Okay, I'm slightly worried about that, but not really. But this is what I'm worried about. Of Jesus shutting us down. Because we're not faithful. Of Jesus saying, nope, I take my reputation seriously. I didn't say that. And I don't want that. Stop that. That's what I'm afraid of. And I wonder, based on Matthew chapter 24, and also based on what Jesus said to Peter, that the gates of hell should not prevail over the church. Right? The, the, the gospel is going to go out to all the nations, and, and Satan doesn't have enough to stop this movement. Okay, if that's true, then why do so many churches shut their doors? Now, there could be several reasons. But I wonder if there's a reason we often don't think about. And that is, is Jesus shutting the door? Is Jesus coming to church and saying, nope, you're done? Is he having one of these type of moments? Jesus will discipline his church if it does not stay faithful to his word. And you know what? That's a good thing. There may be blessing in that. Notice how Daniel, when he's thinking about exile and the punishment that the people of God are under, he doesn't say, God, you're wrong. Oh, you're oppressing us. He doesn't say that. He's saying, you're right. You told us this would happen, and it's happening, and it's right. Now, you have to hear that the, the discipline here in Revelation chapter 2, and also the discipline that Daniel was talking about, it was meant to be redemptive, corrective. It was meant to be a warning. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't go this way. Stop what you're doing and repent in turn. We have to say that too. God has a redemption plan for us, a restoration plan for us. If we will confess corporately, we as the American church have done this. I've seen this out there and I'm seeing it in here. Lord, I confess. I plead for mercy. Now Daniel notices that his people aren't confessing. Right? Look at, this is the most disappointing part. If you felt like there was like a scary part, the judgment of God, this is the disappointing part of Daniel's prayer. Look at these next few verses, verse 13. As it is written in the law of Moses, all the calamities have come upon us. This word right here. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. God, you punished us and we didn't turn. Man, isn't that sad? I think the same thing could be true maybe for 
the American church. You punished us. You disciplined us. Yet we did not repent. Yet we did not turn. We just kept doing the things that felt comfortable to us, that we felt were right. You got distracted. We've let things get in the way of your mission. You corrected us, and we didn't do anything. Oh, I don't want that yet to be true of us. You've done this, yet we haven't turned. Look here, it continues on. And we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities, gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that he's brought upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you have made the name of yourself at this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. Now, he could stop right here. Daniel could stop right here. And many people stop right here. They stop and say, okay, Daniel, you have made an accurate appraisal of the spiritual condition of your people. You should write an article in Christianity Today complaining about all the sins of the American church. I'll tell you, I've read so many of those articles, so many of those books, so many of those things. And are they accurate? Sure, they're accurate. Here's what's happening in the American church. Here's how we've got caught up in politics. Here's how we got caught up in preference. Here's how we've lost the Great Commission. Here's how the Great Commission has become the great omission in the church. Here's how we're not thinking about our neighbors. Here's how we're not thinking about society. Here's how we're being bad neighbors. All of these different things. Okay, and we could stop there in the prayer and post our article on Christianity Today and be like, yay, you got it right. I'm sorry, that's not enough for me. Right? I don't go to the doctor just to get a diagnosis. I'd also like a cure. Paul, you have cancer. Cool. What are we going to do about it? This is where Daniel switches that. We haven't. Dude, I will. I see this mess. Here it is. I have some of that mess. Now I'm going to step into the mess. I'm going to step into the mess. And maybe I, don't, maybe I only own like a sliver of the mess. But I'm here to clean it all up. That's how Daniel prays. Imagine if we prayed like that. If we just humbled ourselves and said, okay, God, I got in the way. I got in the way. We've gotten in the way. But God, please, 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 please visit your church again. And not in judgment. Please have mercy on us. Please have forgiveness on us. God, do something big here. And I'm not here to complain about what everybody else has done. I'm here to say, me first, God. Me first. Look at his prayer as he closed it off, verse 16. This is where we move from, we have not to, I will. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city. Okay, notice how, how many times he says the word your over and over and over again. Let me start over just so you get the refrain of it. O Lord, according to your righteousness, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem, your people have become a byword among all who are around you. Now, therefore, O Lord, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. 
Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. Like, I'm dyslexic. I got learning disabilities. I think I get the point. What's the ground of his plea? God's reputation. Your people, your city, your hill, your sanctuary, God, have become a byword. Your reputation is what's at stake. Not us. It's not about us. Notice how he does it. Again, he doesn't say we're victims of of unfortunate situation, right? He doesn't say that. He's basically saying to God, hey, you are right to punish us, but will you please stop? He doesn't say, well, maybe you haven't considered our righteousness. Not even close. He says, God, for your name, for your sake, we've messed it up. But I want to step in and say, for you, God, for your reputation, will you move? I want to challenge you this week, invite you into this, to use this simple structure, we haven't, but I will, to use that in your prayers this week. And maybe it's going to take some time to really uh, dig down deep and, and work through what that confession is. And, and hear me out. I'm not asking you to do anything that we as a pastoral staff haven't done and as a ministry staff haven't done. We actually talked about this on Wednesday. We took some time to say, what are the sins that have gotten in the way that we've allowed to get in the way? And we're going to be open with you about what those are, in fact. And I'll talk about that in a moment. We have let things get in the way of the mission of God. And we need to confess those. And then we need to move to that part where we say, okay, God, we haven't done this, but I will do this. I will step in and say, Lord, grant us mercy. Lord, Lord, move in a big way. I know you're going to move. I know you don't need me, but man, I don't want to miss out on you using us. How do you think heaven smiles over prayers like that? big, man. I think heaven smiles big over prayers like that. We want to give you a really practical way to do that. We've talked about as we go through the seven rhythms, we've gone through two, the seven rhythms of the Christian life. We've gone through Bible reflection, and then we gave you uh, the trail guide, which was uh, something you could sign up for that gets you in God's word uh, three times uh, uh, in the week. And it's based on the sermon. So you can go deeper in your Bible reflection. Now we're in prayer. We've talked about we want to do the strategy of lecture and lab. So we preach on uh, that rhythm. And usually at the end of the month, we give you an experience for you to participate, kind of put into action what you've learned. So we're doing that. We're doing that this coming weekend. So Friday and Saturday, Friday at noon, all the way to Saturday at noon. That's 24 hours. We are hosting a 24-hour prayer experience here at our church. And we're asking you to sign up for one hour, for one hour to come to the church and to pray. And here's what you're going to experience in that prayer. We're praying a Daniel chapter 9 prayer. It's going to start with confession. When you come in, you're going to get a little sheet that's going to guide you. And in that sheet, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the confessions of our staff. And we put our name on them. Not just general oil. Uh, uh, so you're going to play this game of what pastor has what sin, okay? No. <laughs> uh, 
We're, we're just going to be open. Hey, here are the sins that we've let get away in the mission of God. And you're going to see that. And hopefully what that will inspire in you is when you come here is you'll start and you'll confess your sin to God. And then they will move to the part of saying, okay, God, but I want to be a part of something different. I want to plead for your mercy, God, that you would move again. And then we're going to invite you to pray, to pray for one person who's not yet following Jesus in your circle of influence, for you to pay, pray in a focused way for that person, that God would do something big in their life. I want you to sign up for that. You can go to the Church Center app uh, and sign up for that. It's another reason to download that app. If you're wondering what that is, you're like, what does that mean? On the seat back in front of you, you see a QR code. It'll show you how to sign up for that. You can find Sunrise Church. You'll see it right there as a sign up. We're hoping to fill 24 hours of prayer, a Daniel chapter 9 prayer. Daniel, after his prayer, was rewarded with a wonderful vision. And Daniel got to see his people go back to Jerusalem. He outlasted the exile. This 12-year-old boy taken captive was able to see God's people come back. God rewarded Daniel for his prayer. I believe God will reward us for our prayers. So I invite you to sign up and to pray. Take serious that confession. Say, God, I know this is a mess. Some of this is mine. But I want to clean it up. I want to be part of you doing something big. And we'll see what God does with that. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, you are so, so good to us. And Father, I just, I just want to confess um, that I, I know I get in the way, man. Uh, I get in the way of what you're doing. I love to be a part of what you're doing. Man, I love to see people's lives change. There's nothing like it. And I love, I love the opportunity I have for this to be my profession, that I get to be in ministry, watching people's lives change. Uh, oh, I love it. Thank you for it. Thank you for that mercy and allowing me to be a part of that. But Father, I just got to confess right now that I get in the way. I get in the way. Uh, and that disappoints me. Father, I, I know I've, I've let uh, politics get in the way. Uh, when discussions move in that arena and I get excited about hearing, where are you going to vote? What policies do you like? All this stuff. But I, I'm not getting into the deeper things. And Father, sometimes I retreat from conversations when I hear a different political vantage point. And I don't step in and lean into that and really care for that person. And that's on me. And Father, I confess that. I see that. And uh, my fellow brothers and sisters in the faith in the American church, I see that. But I see it in me. I confess my part. Father, I also confess that I let, I let preferences get in the way. Little things that just they don't matter. And it's not about a certain style being the right way. There's no sacred uh, arrangement. There's no holy programs. There's none of that. And Father, I have let loyalty to certain ways of doing things, get in the way of your mission. And that's on me. And that's on me. And I need to let that die in me. And I need to let those things die because I am so thrilled to hear that the mission of your church will not fail, with or without me. If I don't get my act together, it doesn't matter, God, because you are going to complete the mission. But I want to be a part of it. 
Lord, Sunrise Church wants to be a part of it. We want to be a part of it. Bless us with the mercy of allowing us to be a part of what you're going to do. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.